and welcome to the next episode of The Podcast, a cannabis podcast for budding enthusiasts. As always, a big, big, big thank you to our sponsors for helping to make the show happen. Seeds here now, your number one seed bank in the business. Guarantee on satisfaction, not just germination. Why would you go elsewhere? They got all the most fire breeders. Go check out Soulfire. Got some great new crosses in stock. Likewise, a huge thank you to Coppet Biological Systems. These guys have got all the best beneficial bugs, predators, microbes, and feeds to keep your garden happy, healthy, stocked up on defense to stop those bad guys from ruining your next harvest. Likewise, a huge, huge, huge thank you to the Patreon gang. You guys are the lifeblood of the show and you help to make it happen. If you want access to early episodes, additional unheard content, additional prizes and more, go check out www.patreon.com forward slash the podcast. On this episode, we are grateful to be joined by Chris of Compound Genetics here to give us the lowdown on all of the newest compound crosses, the Runs collab, the hype industry, rappers, and so much more. Let's get into it. Alrighty, so a big, big thank you and welcome to the man behind all the mouth-watering creations we see over at the Compound Genetics Instagram page. Chris, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me here. It's good to be here. Awesome, my friend. So the first question we like to ask people, what are you currently smoking on? Oh, man, a wide variety of stuff. Um, I have some apples and bananas, some baby Yoda, um, some Arrowhead, which is Thin Mint by Clay Fikush for the menthol. Also, some Jokers, which is white runs by Jet Phil Gelato. Um, some grape gasoline, uh, some laughing gas, some blue sushi, and some bubbles of gum, Skittles rosin. Oh, and some fats of rosin. So a wide variety of flavors. Wow, you pretty much just mentioned every strain I wanted to talk about in this interview, so thank you so much for giving me a perfect segue, but the one that I'll just quickly jump into first, I think you said Blue Zushi or Sushi, what's that one like? Yeah, Blue Zushi, from, from, it's from the Tenko, it's, it's a Skittles cross, I believe, or Zushi cross, it's from the Tenko, they, they do an excellent job at LA. Oh, awesome. And I've always, it's probably a silly question, but I've always wondered, because I've never had Zushi or any of the crosses, does it actually taste like some sort of Sushi? A little bit, yeah. Use your, use your imagination for sure. <laughs> it's really loud. It has the terms for sure. Interesting. And I mean, in general, would you classify yourself as someone who kind of gravitates more towards like the flavor profile of strains or are you more about the feeling of it? Definitely terms that are important to me. Definitely terms for sure. Perfect. And do you feel like, I've always had this opinion that it's always a bit of a bummer when you smell a strain, it smells so good and then it just doesn't quite translate to flavor. Are you of the same mindset or you think like good terps? Oh, exactly, exactly. Terps are very important to me. They have to be spot on. I hate the names that don't apply at all. It messes up, I think, the whole experience for sure. Hell yeah. I always think like, yeah, like when you get a strain that tastes as it smells, it just kind of elevates the strain to the next level. Definitely, I agree. The full package, it checks all the boxes, you know? So, I mean, before we get too deep into the breeding questions, I'd love to just ask, do you think there's anything you can do as a breeder to try to help make the strain do that? Like, do you think it's just the parent selection or? I think testing and using the right cultivars to begin with is important, very important. Having the right selections to start with that are true to the name, true chirps, and making sure the breeding is proper to begin with, they testing and make translate into the final product. Yeah, of course. I think, yeah, testing has got to be the foundation of any breeding project. Alrighty, well, what a what an awesome little lineup. I just want to quickly jump back to one other strain you mentioned in the intro because I'd never heard of it before. I think you said Arrowhead. 
Yeah, it's a new one for, I'm working with Werner and Khalifa. It's from the new Wiz Khalifa menu. It's a, it's a Khalifa Kush by the Thin Mint by Menthol. The one I'm carrying with Werner from the Cookies line. Oh, wow. What a what a powerhouse combo. Correct me if I'm wrong. Does that mean that it's kind of similar to the Khalifa mints, but there's also Thin Mints mixed in there? Yeah, it's more of a cookie-esque you know, than the actual OG with the Khalifa. Wow, okay. And I think the question in terms of the Khalifa stuff that I've been wondering the most about how I, when I first saw all of this was like, how did all of this come about? Did you reach out to him? Did he reach out to you? How did it all happen? Um, the whole Khalifa collaboration? Yeah. It was kind of spur of the moment. I was working with Burr in the past couple of months on some, this is the thing that came my way and it was fired. Got it in his hands and he liked it and just kind of went from there. Wow. I mean... What a what a cool little synchronous sort of event. I was specifically wondering, did you try the Khalifa OG and you liked it, or did he have that and kind of brought that to the table? Like, how did that part work? I like to cut. I got cut from my friend uh, First Class Genetics. I worked at my, my last uh, mental breeding project, and it came out really fire. I found some really unique females from it. And, uh, one of my friends in LA, uh, Pure and Proper, cultivated it. You know, and I got it in Verner's hands. And, it's so fire to be uh, with selected. So it just checks all the boxes. It's a really amazing cultivar. Wow. That's like a cool sentiment to hear because you don't hear about a lot of new OG cuts coming out that people think are cool and like kind of different to the others. I noticed that you work with a lot of different OG cuts. Do you think it's probably one of your more preferred ones? It's definitely unique. I'm not exactly sure the background, but it's definitely a unique OG. It reminds me of like a triangle SFB hybrid a little bit. It has gaps in both of them. Really strong vigor and strong trichrome coverage. Really, really heavy OG for sure. Strong on the gas. Hell yeah. I'm a big fan of the triangle and the SFV. So that sounds like it's ticking boxes already. I guess my next question would be is, do you think that the TK is probably the origin of a lot of OGs or do you think they just kind of appear differently? I'm not really sure on the history of OG. I'm going to dabble on that. There's some real uh, aficionados on that subject. So. I just know the triangle is one of the standouts from the West Coast and staple in the community for a long time. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And I guess as a final little question on OG before we jump to the next topic was, do you prefer the really gassy OGs, like kind of like, um, you know, your high octanes and stuff like that, or do you prefer the more cushy ones like the TK? I like the gassy ones for sure. Those are my favorites, the gassy fuels. I'm all about the gassy, the gassy OGs, staple, I think, and my favorite for sure. It's so hot, it's, you can't deny it. It's stable in the community for a long time to come. Yeah, a hundred percent. I think I kind of realized that myself when I was talking to Coma a while back, and he said, you know, everyone's trying to reinvent the wheel, but there's so much more work to be done within the gas field because, as you said, it's just like such a like a dominating flavor profile that people just fall in love with, don't they? Yeah, it never gets old. It's always a staple. It comes and goes. It's always it's always there. It's, you, you can never go wrong with gas. It always, it always sells. It always is a hit and people always love it. For sure. So, let's jump back to the start. Would you be able to tell me a little bit about the first experience you ever had with cannabis? The first experience I had with cannabis um, was in high school, I think, or my freshman year. I had some friends that were, the one that were going downtown to this uh, festival to smoke bowls. They said I wasn't sure what that meant. I was kind of new to the whole thing. I was like, smoking bowls, what's that? So, we took the bus downtown and there was a it was kind of like a drum circle down there. It was like an open, open vendor market called bands and music and stuff. And it was, it was smoking weed. And they were like, what's going on here? And so I smoked some weed the first time there. And it was just so high. And it kind of fell in love with it from that point. Hell yeah. I mean, what a, what a cool story. And 
do you happen to know what you were smoking on or was it just kind of like the reggae or it was just some, some high grade oregon um indoor no, no, no names at that time just kind of the, the green chronic you know back in the day it's, it's the staple the green bud oh man i'm jealous and i guess it's maybe a bit of a redundant question but you you obviously got high the first time you smoked oh yeah very high i was like floating on water basically it was, it was incredible was that the moment when you kind of started to think maybe you were going to be involved in cannabis throughout your life or that happened a bit later down the track that happened a bit later for sure i was definitely fascinated with cannabis from a young age and my teenage years i kind of pursued it and kept it, kept it in my, my radar for a long time but i didn't really make a career until later in, down the, the path yeah okay i mean and so what was the transition from say around that time to when you first started to have your first grow was it a long time short time um, in 2004, I had the opportunity to go to Amsterdam and live with a friend over there. So I went over to Europe for two years, and I really studied the, the coffee shop culture and really got absorbed in it. Really, I learned a lot about the marijuana and how it works and how it, how it affected me in my, my life and what I really appreciated about it. And then I came back to Oregon in 2006, and it was around the time of, of medical marijuana. And I got a basement with a friend in his house, and I kind of started growing that there. I kind of progressed from that to moving into other houses and managing more facilities, and I started working with the sensories and kind of just from that point on, I kind of really dug into it when I got back from this, from, from Amsterdam, kind of like my passion there. Yeah, awesome. That's It's kind of interesting how that seems to be like a common thread for a lot of people, like they have that epiphany in Amsterdam. Were there any genetics you remember from that time that you were working with that you were like, man, that was like a cool thing to start out working with because in retrospect, it was like this legendary strain from Amsterdam or was it just more kind of whatever you could get your hands on? Uh, when I started back in the States, I was working with like basic basics of like shishkaberry and stuff. Some of my favorite cuts from the time were um, Pacific Northwest dog shit, um, Fort Collins cough, some really heavy sativas that were really head stumpers I really fell in love with. And uh, like the original East Coast sour diesel, those were all some of my favorites. Yeah, wow, that's so cool. I uh, I noticed when I was looking at a lot of your work that like the dog shit popped up and I think I even saw the cough in there once or twice and I had only ever really seen Fletcher from Archive try to like push these strains in terms of saying to people like, look, these are, these are great strains, you just got to give them a chance. Do you feel like you're trying to do the same in a certain sense of like get the word out that these are still killer crosses? Um, no, no, not so much. I think Fletcher's the, the champion of that for sure. I'll give him credit for that all day long. I'm more focused on the elite modern market with compound, but those are definitely staples that are kind of lost as relaxing and not really recognized with today's modern flavors. Sure. And I mean, just out of a personal curiosity, I've never tried the dog shit, for example. Do you feel like a well-grown, um, you know, kind of bud from dog shit would still be pretty enjoyable for most people these days or it's a bit of like... Oh, definitely, definitely. The problem with that is it goes 12 to 13 weeks in flower, so no one wants to flower it and do it properly, so kind of lost people who get the attention it deserves so it is yeah, it's different it definitely would be a hit i think i think also the name kind of holds it back but besides that i think it's a great all-around cultivar yeah i think we have heard from some other guests before that they thought the name might have put some people off but that's good to hear that it's still still power i i had no idea it was a 13 week uh, do you happen to yeah. know the genetics on it i don't i don't i don't it's really really a strong head high though really really something Sativa head high with a really, really intense, like, incense like, um, woody uh, turbine profile. It's really, really unique, unforgettable. That's amazing. And I guess, as a general question, do you find yourself gravitating to sativa strains often or more of like a Kush guy? Um, I like sativa when you can find them. It's kind of hard to find the good ones in the States anymore. I kind of just found a little bit when I lived in Amsterdam for a while, but 
I mean, there's more on the exotic you know, hybrid um, chain right now. It's my favorite profile right now at the moment. Yeah, sure. I actually had a question about that, which was that we see a lot of various different strains being labeled as exotics. And I think that a lot of the time it kind of boils down to this cookies or kush kind of lineage. Do you ever think we'll see sativa exotics hitting the stores? Definitely. I think so. And I hope so. I hope the market um, expands too. I think definitely think it can be done. It just has to be more um, um, bringing the cultivation time down. I think the problem with sativa is in the lack of bio appeal sometimes but if you, you, you can hybridize that with some of the modern for sure yeah sure i can understand that this is a kind of a, a question that i still don't know much about myself because it's just hard to answer but in your mind what makes something exotic hmm that's a good, good question i definitely think um terpene profile and look key for exotics in this market i think people um focus on that before they explain the actual smoking profile i think when you purple is King in California right now. I mean, you can't really sell any bud or have any um, relevance in the market if it's not purple. So it's kind of interesting how the mar- markets change that and uh, it's kind of shunned away most green bud as far as like being top shelf and being popular. Yeah, sure. I mean, that, that all checks out. Interesting. And would you ever consider like some cool old world genetics exotic or it's not about like how available it is? It's more about like the aesthetic and the look and whatnot. Oh, definitely, definitely. It's old, old cultivars are definitely exotic and, and uh, very rare. I think it's just a matter of your perspective. I think the modern market kind of um, pigeonholes certain things as exotic. There's a bigger picture in the wider world of those. Yeah, yeah, great answer. So let's go back a little bit. You mentioned that you started out doing smaller grows and then as they succeeded, you were progressing to bigger and bigger as time went by. What sort of a grow style do you tend to use and were you using back then? I was mainly soilless grows in like cocoa or pea at the time. Just doing drain away is pretty, pretty basic introduction to grow style. Great. And do you feel like the sort of synthetic or soilless style of growing has come a long way since then? Or do you think it's more just people learning about how to do it better? I think people have learned how to do it better for sure. It's totally advanced somewhat, but you can't really reinvent the wheel. There's only so much you can improve on progress this technology and innovation but i think it's definitely uh, the growers have gotten a lot better as opposed to the, the, the earlier era of like medical days yeah sure and the age-old debate which commonly occurs on the show do you feel like really well-grown soilless can stand up to really well-grown soil yeah to a degree i think they'll, they'll definitely have their own um, attributes and traits that are different from each other but they definitely think they can be comparable if grown well Sure. And I mean, I'm asking you this because I know that you're so tied in with a lot of these companies and whatnot. Do you know of any companies that are selling maybe wreckweed or large scale stuff that are doing it with soil or you think like soilless is pretty much the way to go? I don't know anyone that's trying with soil at all as far as wreckweed. It's all as far as I can tell in Cocoa and Rockwell. It seems to be the, the, the trend right now. I don't know anyone doing something soil or anything like that, unfortunately. Sure. Except Press Cultivar and Oregon is doing that too, a large scale. Yeah, and do you think that's because of just like pests and crop failure, or do you think it's just ease of use? A mixture of both, I think. And I think I, I'm not sure exactly which contributes makes that happen, but it's definitely not the reality at the moment. Yeah. Okay. Understandable. And I guess final question on that sort of like idea is: Do you see anyone doing like a sort of a hybrid system where maybe they're growing in cocoa but trying to do it kind of with organic inputs otherwise? A lot of people using teas and stuff like that on top of like basic salts too, a little, a little hybriding, but not, not, nothing beyond that really.
do you think there's any merit in that or you think like just try to do it properly soilless uh, i think there's merit in that in my experience you, you can get more robust turps if you use teas and additives not just one basic salt i think i think people are uh has, has uh, cautious to implement more things into their row well hopefully they do that yeah, I mean, that makes sense, right? Because, yeah, people get more on game with their turps and whatnot. Okay, so if we jump back now, you were kind of developing as a grower and you're moving into bigger and bigger facilities. During this time, was there anyone who you kind of looked up to? Like, often we hear people talking about, you know, having read some of the earlier books, like, you know, Sensomia tips, stuff like that. Was there anyone you looked up to or you were kind of discovering things on your own? I'm looking up to, hmm. I definitely say Isomag a lot back in the day. I wrote from a lot, kind of a city that is not a knowledge base. Um, so the earlier beers I looked up to were probably Exotic Genetics Mike. He was definitely the first um, real uh, beers I looked up to that had a really well robust uh, commercial brand that was really put together and really dialed with his presentation and his quality. And it was, it was in Northwest too, so it was a good influence for me. Yeah, true. I forgot he, he was around that area as well at the time, wasn't he? Yeah, he's in Washington, I believe. Yeah, okay, cool. Yeah, we hear a lot of people talk about how Mike had a kind of influence on them like that. I think that's kind of cool credence to the company because I think in some people's mind, they still think of Exotic as a rather new brand. But as you pointed out, like they've been around a while. Yeah, since 2014, I believe. 13 around there is when I first caught one of them. Sure. From that point, kind of when you're upscaling and growing and growing, at what point did you first have the idea about Compound? Um, compound came about around 2016 to 2017, uh, later into my actual cultivation phase, more as, as a progression of my, my understanding the value of genetics and seeing when to do my, my own stuff. Okay, sure. And like, how long did it take you to get the working pieces in place from the moment you first started thinking about it to actually getting it going? Um, actually, surprisingly, pretty quickly, I sourced some seeds from for the first regular line that I found the mail from um, at Chalice Festival in 2016. And the, the, the first cultivar was used for the, the, the PEM line, the Jet Gelato, and the, the menthol came, came about at the same time. So it was a very fortunate situation where I was able to acquire so much elite genetics initially to start the brand with. Yeah, okay, cool. I mean, that's interesting because I remember the first time I saw your stuff was the Jet Fuel Gelato. So I guess I must have seen it kind of not too long after things first started out. I remembered thinking to myself, like, this looks like a really sort of fire strain, like or the crosses you made with it. And I remembered looking into the genetics and the thing which caught me was that it's kind of like an interesting mixture of genetics. There's like the 303 seeds, there's um, the high octane OG. What was it about those specific genetics that you were into? Did you grow 303 before that or you liked the overall picture it was putting forth? Um, the cultivar was mainly gas. I found it was really a unique gassy um, gelato that I liked. It had really good structure, so was, like, I gravitated towards. Um, I received the cultivar from my friend Crane City Cannabis and SF, who developed the cultivar. I helped name it, and um, I originally got it, it was called Jet Lotto. I changed the name to Jet Field Gelato with his permission, and I kind of really put that cultivar into the, the spotlight um, using it in my breeding projects. Sure. And I know that a lot of people probably missed out on some of those initial drops. Are you the type of breeder who likes to remake the sort of popular crosses or are you kind of like, nah, I make them once and once they're gone, that's it? I like to make them once when they're gone, they're, they're gone usually. Scarcity and makes things rare. So the, the cultivator has a unique ability to have a unique cultivar. It's not going to be watered down and really sold and resold over time. 
Yeah, sure. And I mean, are you aware of any of the jet fuel lines still being in stock or are they just long gone at this point? They're pretty much sold right away. Yeah, that's what I thought. I was, I was like, you know, hanging on to a prayer. There's still some, some sitting around in, in the archive. So I noticed from there, actually, sorry, rewind a little bit. Am I mistaken in the, I think that when Compound started, it was a collaboration between you and another breeder, was it? Yeah, it initially was, yeah. Okay. And when did you kind of go your own way with that? Um, in the summer of 2018. Okay. And was that just sort of like uh, you wanted to take control of the direction you were heading in? No, it was kind of a, it was unfortunate circumstances, set of circumstances that happened, um, kind of a fly out between us, me and my partner at the time. So there was no real, one reason for it happening. Yeah. Okay. Would I be correct in the, the menthol was made before the separation? Yes, it was made at the same time as the Jeffield Gelato. I'm trying to put this all together because I noticed that the Weist Farms also uses it. What Weist Farms, yeah, he's my old partner. So, I guess the obvious point to state is that you both recognize that the menthol was like a cool line and that's why it's popped up. What is it about the menthol that you're really into? Um, it's a unique cultivar. It's very, um, it's really like a white gelato with gassy, minty um, menthol turps. It's really unique. It's really deep purple and it tends to breed um, very frosty, um, exotic looking plants with um, a good uh, density and good flower time and um, very ro- robust and, and resilient to a bunch of mold. So, it checks all the boxes and it's really strong cultivar that's unique and it's, it's a good breeder for sure the thing that really caught my eye about it was that like the jet fuel gelato it had a lot of similar components in it but it notably had that white diesel in it which i thought was interesting because that came from white label seeds which i hadn't really heard a lot about to be honest what was the backstory on those seeds and like what kind of attracted you to using a fairly unknown breeder's work I was actually from another cultivar, Crane City, and SF made his own work. It's actually um, this diesel by white that he made in-house and used it for the breeding project. So I believe it's hardly now. Ah, okay. That makes sense. That makes sense. And maybe a silly question, but I guess that the strain itself is very menthol-y in flavor? Yeah, yeah. Actually, I got the cut. It was, it was called Dots. We changed the name to the menthol. It was cultivated in my, my friend Kit's house. He was on the plane and said, this sounds like menthol. So we decided to call it menthol. So the name is stuck from there. Yeah. Okay. Makes sense. Makes sense. And out of um, the menthol crosses, if someone was looking for one that was sort of the most menthol-y they can find, because I've actually surprisingly had a lot of people say that that's like a flavor profile that it's kind of a little actually hard to find. Which cross would you recommend that's sort of the most menthol-y out of all of the lines you've done with it? Mm, it's a tough one. Mm, probably the um, Tokyo Snow is probably my favorite uh, line. It's the Hibachi Supreme by the Mental, which is Hibachi Supreme is um, GMO by uh, Living Legends, which is um, LA Confidential by Legend OG. So it's, it's, a, it's a really unique cross. It can't really gas in Mental. Yeah, wow. That's got some real powerhouse strains in the mix there. What's your thoughts on the Legend OG? I've seen you've worked with it a little bit, and it's one of the more newer OGs on the market. Do you like it? Which cut are you talking about? The, the Creamfield cut or the actual respect LG cut from LA? Yeah, good good point. I forgot that there was the two cuts. I think the crinkle is the preferred one. Is that correct? Or you, you tell me what's up. The crinkle is a little bit different. It's not really a true OG in my opinion. It's more like a cushy uh, uh, OG. It's more not as feely as the actual uh, LA OG. The LA OG is more a traditional OG as far as I'm concerned. The crinkle cut is more of a 
it's, it's a different cut. It's, it's hard to describe. It's definitely, it's definitely what powerhouse for sure. They're both kings in their own, in their own right, but uh, definitely different for sure. I prefer the, the crinkle more than the, the, the LA. Okay, and do you think they are like sisters to each other, or just strains that happen to get the same name? I think they share the same name. They're only similar as far as and being OG to, to some degree. Yeah, sure. Okay, so I mean, moving on. There's so many strains I could choose to talk about from your lineup because there's just been so many powerhouses. I think the one that I was pretty interested in next was um, the the collab you had got with Rado in the works. It was the gasoline grape. The grape, the grape gasoline, yeah. Grape gasoline. My apologies. How did how did this one come about? Did you try the grape pie and you were like, oh, this is winner, or how did it all happen? Um, well, Kenora has been a friend of mine for a while since I started breeding, and he's been a good, good ally, and good, good uh, person. I've bounced many ideas off of, and he's been very supportive of me since the start. And um, when I did the first Jeff Vigilado uh, pollination, I sourced a great pie cut and used it in the pollination. And I asked Kenora if, if we could do a collaboration with it, with that cross, called Great, great Gasoline. And he agreed, um, but nothing really came out of it because we, we got sidetracked with other things. And a few years later, down the line, my friend Fina Hunters in Michigan selected the cut I used in this pollination. It was so far, it was such an amazing turn profile. I, I reached out to Rod and said, let's do a collaboration on this, this cut. And he said, okay. And so he sent me some cuts and we made a pollination and tested the line. And it's a really unique profile. It's really, really gravy and um, like cough syrupy gravy with some sour fuel. It's really one of my current favorites right now. Wow, that sounds awesome. It kind of sounds like what I imagine must taste like, but it sounds like you've done even better. I noticed on a few seed banks that we're doing some pre-sales of it, like it's all sold out. So obviously, like people are hyped as for it. What can these people expect from some of the crosses? Like just some of that flavor imparted or like you think it'll be more new sort of flavors coming out of it? There's really going to be lots of people in there that are heavy grape, uh, fuel-y, kind of like soury grape dominant. And there's also going to be some new, new profiles we use, a, we use a wide range of cultivars with a wide range of terpene profiles. So you're going to find lots of different things based, based on the cultivars we, we use. So I expect the growers to find some really amazing phenos in the, in the selections. So you just mentioned Rado a moment ago about someone who's like a friend and, you know, you like his work and whatnot. A question I like to ask everyone who comes on the show, are there any other breeders who maybe you're not necessarily doing a collab with or anything, but you just kind of keep your eye on and you think they're doing some good stuff? Yeah, right now in the Bay Area, there's a beer called Dio Farms. He's doing lots of work down there. He doesn't really release any cultivars or seeds into the public, but he's doing lots of really good cultivar development. He puts in the time and the work and does really amazing stuff. Um, so I want to watch for sure. Nick Runs, he's the one that comes to mind right now. And so um, the, the Runs guys are doing some good stuff too. Nick Runs from the Runs crew. He's a good friend of mine. He's, he's putting in some real seed work with the Runs guys, so you should see some stuff from them in the next year also. Yeah, amazing. I mean, I think a lot of people, including myself, are really interested in the work you've been doing with the Runtz guys. The first question I would generally speaking want to ask is that, you know, Runtz has been sweeping awards as of recently for like Strain of the Year on a few different platforms. What's your thoughts on Runtz itself? You often hear people say that it's kind of like a watered down gelato. Do you subscribe to that idea or you think it's better, different? What's your thoughts? I think runs is one of a kind, something unique, and the real runs is definitely um, not watered down gelato. The terpene profile on the white runs is incredible and hard to describe. It's like skills, but different. It's just it's really unique, and when grown right, runs is in a league of its own. It's definitely um, not the biggest cultivar and can be a little um, finicky sometimes, but real runs is definitely a profile that's going to be here for a while, so it's definitely a staple if you get the right cut and it's grown by the right cultivator. 
Sure. And, I mean, like all popular cuts, I'm sure there are many imitations. Do you think that the reason maybe some people have this somewhat negative view of it compared to gelato is just because they're not getting the real deal? Probably, yeah. And there's lots of poorly run, runs out there. It's kind of not, not doing it sort of properly. So you need to find the, the, the right cut in it to get the good representation of it. Yeah, of course. I mean, with that being said, you've done a lot of work with the runs already and we're going to delve into it even more. But do you feel like at this point, if someone was to see runs winning all these awards and they're like, hey, I need to start breeding with that, do you feel like they're almost a bit too late to the party to get on board that train? Um, probably not. Really not the hot new thing anymore. It's simply out there now, but I don't really think it's going to be around for a while. You'll see some hybrids of it and new players of it for a while. It's a new staple for sure. Yeah, okay, cool. I saw that a lot of people were raving about your Joker's line, and I was wondering, was this where you first saw the potential for the White Runs line itself, or did that come at a different time? Um, I saw that potential initially, but I was cautious to do it because I didn't want to like, just take away the glory from the Runs guys, but kind of the White Runs line she kind of came into fruition after becoming friends with Nick and kind of working with the Runs guys more and kind of deciding to do some C products together. Yeah, okay. And I mean, on that exact topic, what's it like to collaborate in runs with gen- in general? You know, like, are they primarily sort of the promotional part of it and you're kind of doing the breeding part of it? How would you describe this collab? Um, I definitely did the, the, the work for the actual process myself, but Nick Runs is definitely hands-on and have great ideas and has lots of input on the cultivars and um, where to take things and how to move forward. Um, he's been very influential in helping shape my pace move since I moved to San Francisco from Oregon. He's, uh, he has a good taste and really um, is picky about what he wants to move forward with runs. So he's been very uh, helpful with the creative aspects and puts a lot of work behind the scenes. You don't really see the credit comes to fruition later as, as the forefront of the brand, but he's definitely played a big role as far as um, the, yeah, the genetics and the, most of the creative aspects there. Yeah, I think undeniably he's done a lot of work in the creative aspect and like creating the the brand and hyping it and whatnot i forgot to ask just a minute ago the white runs itself it's got some cool genetics in the works given it's got um the menthol and whatnot could you give us a little rundown on how the creation of this strain occurred was it just sort of a one of the strains you were making at the time or did you really think like this one's going to be a winner i've got to do this pairing white runs the, the, the culture itself you mean yeah the line yeah well, the white runs came from the runs guys themselves. That's their, their work. So I'm just, I'm just using that in the, in the, to make the line with. Ah, okay. What I thought was when I was looking through all the various lines, I mean, all of them look insanely good. But to me, the rose and gold runs looks like it could be one of the most anticipated strains, you know, ever, so to speak. Um, what do you think people should expect from these seeds? Do you think they're just going to sell out like hot fire? Because, I mean, that's what I imagine. They're already sold out pretty much as far as I'm concerned. The demand seems to be through the roof. I'm actually doing another polish right now to see more seeds and more flavors from, from my collaboration in early next year. Yeah, wow. And do you have any ideas about where you want to take this line if you're going to work it further, or do you have other projects you're more interested in working with in the future? I like to find some standout cultivars from the seeds and try to work those further and definitely incorporate some new males I'm working with and to take it further, but see where it grows and what we find in the seeds and where the run guys going to go with it. Yeah, okay. I mean, something that I noticed from your work in general is that you do seem to have a really wide diversity of um, like unique females you're using. Many of them I like don't see being used in other people's work. Does this come from you being like really on top of like finding new clones and trading with people and whatnot, or do you just do a lot of pheno hunting yourself? 
a mixture of both. I really try to um, collect as many cultures as I can and really um, probe my network for exclusive and bigger projects. I try to make my lineups for my, my products as exclusive as possible and try to really hone in on um, new cutting-edge flavors from breeders that I respect and friends and kind of collect those and acquire them and use them for my projects. So, as well, as well as selecting my own stuff in the house, just to make sure both I have a wide network of people I know. So people I, I respect, I tend to stay social with and kind of they trust me with their cultivars. So I do lots of work with, with unique cuts I'm able to acquire, which has been um, one of the benefits to Compound moving forward. And it's helped me have, have unique players and unique lines to release to the public. Perfect. And I mean, in general, would you advise aspiring breeders that they should be looking to sort of pheno hunt a little bit within their own lines or it's okay to just sort of like just bring in new clones and just pollinate them sort of thing? Like I know that I'm, I guess I'm kind of making that sound a bit bad, but I guess the question is, do you feel like it's important for a breeder to pheno hunt within their own lines or it's kind of an optional thing because enough people are finding new stuff all the time? I think it's important to work your own stuff and to make, make your name for, with your own stuff. But I think breeders also should be not like be too afraid to, to network with other people. I think that's a good thing to move forward, especially with this, the modern era of like legalization and being able to be more out there and not be so afraid of it. But you still need to work your own stuff and make a name with your own work as much as possible and find your own selections. I think it's a key to breeding and making, making flavors. Yeah, okay. So when you go about creating new strains... Do you kind of do it in a conceptualized way where you're kind of thinking of pairing two strains together and you're like, yeah, they're going to blend really well together? Or is it more of a case of like trial and error and you're, you're doing a big pollination and finding the ones that are standing out and then proceeding with that? It's more design, more planned. I definitely have more thought into it. It's more premeditated. I try to select the best things that represent cultivars and traits I'm looking for and where I think the, the market's going, what, what trends I see and kind of use that as my guiding tool as long, long as my, my intuition and kind of just what I want to see on the market under compound fits my taste. Yeah, great answer. So when you're doing breedings, for example, I have to ask all our guests this because our viewers absolutely love it and I love hearing about it too. What are some of the things about a male that would impress you? Are there characteristics? We often hear people talking about stem rubs, things like that. What's your go-to? Um, my go-to, vigor. Stem rubs is a factor, but not really a design factor to me. can be misleading for sure. Um, stability. I like to do lots of testing on males, dry out tests and like different uh, light cycles, things that mature hermaphroditing in normal settings to make sure it's uh, stable. I look for how early flowers and, and um, how fast the bud sets go on, how dense the male pollen sacs are. Lots of different traits besides just the terpene profile. Sure. Have you ever toyed with the idea or considered reversing a male and seeing like the terpenes that come off the reversed male? I've heard of that being done, and some people have done it themselves. I've never tried it personally, so I'd be curious to see how that works. Yeah, I really want to, and I haven't been able to figure out the answer to this, but I want to know if it correlates. Like if you reverse a male and the male ends up producing trichrome that smells like grape gasoline, and then you try some of the crosses of that male, like does it consistently impart grape gasoline flavors, or is it like kind of not correlated in a way? That would be an interesting one, I think. I'd be very curious to find that out. The mystery about males is you never know how they breed as opposed to the femmes. Femmes seem to be more dominant based on the cultivary reverse, but femmes, with males, you never know what's going to be dominant or recessive or what's going to breed true or not. So the mystery of the male. That's it. I like that. The mystery of the male. That's like a new catchphrase. <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> um, so, let's just say you've made a new strain. How many seeds do you like to run to kind of get an idea of what's going on with those genetics? And so, like, for example, if if you ran 10 seeds and found one Hermie, would you be like, this line's bunk? Or do you feel like you've got to run more than that to kind of get an idea of what's actually going on within the line? I like to run at least 50 to 100 seeds per, per flavor to find a good example, representation of what's going on. I mean, ideally more to find a real standard, you know, than the standard test of time. You should be able to find a good representation with at least 50 seeds. Yeah, that's that's a good number. I like that. So, I guess this is a bit of a devil's in the detail question, but hypothetically, at what point would you can a line? And I think I've asked another guest this in the past, and it, it is a bit of a tough one to answer, I understand. But let's just say, for example, you ran 20 seeds or maybe 50, and you found some of the best results you'd ever seen ever, like the most fire stuff you've ever found. But you also found a number of hermaphrodites. Would you, at a certain point, would you say, look, this is actually worth releasing because the fire is so good it makes up for the hermaphrodites? Or is there a certain point where you're like, look, I just don't accept that at all across the board? I'm not really a fan of releasing genetics that Hermia are unstable. I, I probably into releasing those proven cuts and actually releasing the seeds. Um, but I, I try to stay away from releasing things that are unstable and almost the best of the best. I think people. Are, I mean, strong proven genetics are crucial moving forward as um, um, people become more prone to, to on budgets and having proven genetics are strong is very important moving forward. And in general, do you like to do in-house testing or do you use external testers? A mixture of both. I mean, you can't see anything better than yourself. Seeing firsthand is, is crucial, but I like to have a group of people I can trust to, to do work with me as well. Sure, I, I would agree with that good like five or ten people maybe no more smaller people you can trust to take good photographs and record good details and notes yeah and i mean you raised a good point there good photographs i i think it's uh mr james bean who said uh, a good photograph sells a thousand packets of seeds how important do you feel photographs are to being successful as a breeder in this modern era um very important i think you can do only do so much off of hype and um, reputation I think the good seeds can sell out the seeds and you can have a strain kind of standing standstill. You know, a good photograph posted in a boom, it'll sell 10 packs overnight or 20 packs. But I think see, photographs are important. I think it also shows that you have the time in to test your genetics. And I think back in the day, you get away with selling seeds more without photographs. I think the market is going more savvy and understanding more that no photographs kind of didn't really test it or didn't put the time in. So I think photographs are the way forward. Sure. And I mean, I guess an extension of that question is, do you think it's possible to be commercially successful as a breeder in today's climate and not be particularly active on social media? Yeah, I don't think so, but I'm not sure how, how far you'll go with that, but I don't think you, you still can for sure. Yeah, I mean, I've asked that question to people in the past and like, funnily enough, we hear people like Rado get mentioned who like, you know, aren't exactly posting every day, but still kind of crush it. Yeah, Rod does good work. He's he's a staple of that. He's been one of the ones that kind of paved the trail for the whole feminized market in the states. I think and kind of was a big inspiration for me. Rod has just put so much work in and has done so many crosses crosses over time. He's just it's pretty impressive. Yeah, I think Rado has put out a really really good number of femmes and as you said he paved the way what's your thoughts on femmes we often hear people like say things like um mothers that come from feminized seeds aren't as good as mothers from regular seed do you buy into that at all 
I don't buy into that at all. It's not true at all. Maybe if it comes from unstable parents to begin with, but I think good families know with, with solid parents that are, are tested and aren't made of, like with hurry prone genetics or, or genetics with, with unsealed traits can really stand the test of time. Sure. I mean, we hear we hear a wide variety of sort of whispers and rumors about strains. Another one I hear is that like fem females from fem seeds. I mean, that's, that's a bit of a misnomer. Of course, they're females. Um, plants from fem seeds. Um, like will lose vigor quicker than regular ones will. Is that another one where you think that's just an inaccuracy? I think it's, uh, I don't believe that at all. I think it's untrue. So I think there's, I think there's lots of rumors and misconceptions about how many seeds that just come from uh, misinformation. People aren't really doing the homework and just believing what they hear on the internet. Yeah, I mean, there's certainly a lot of rumors, isn't there? So I guess to follow up on that point about um, sort of losing vigor and whatnot, given you've got the dog shit and the cough and some of these quite more um, older strains, do you have any ideas about what results in strains losing vigor over time? I've definitely seen that in reality in, in, in the grow. I'm not exactly sure what contributes to that, but I think there's several things. I mean, overall plant care and plants getting abused over time with sprays and treatments and pests and disease and Poor grow conditions. I think definitely I've seen it drift over time, and, and you know maybe cloning and reverting in veg, and I'm not sure the science behind that. But I know current problems like hoplite and virus and things like that can definitely make plants change. So, unfortunately, I've been able to back home all my genetic and tissue culture with no labs, so I have all my stuff clean now, and it's all tested. So I've been able to utilize all proven sterile plants in my breeding products moving forward. It's been real advantage to my products and helped me maintain my plant vigor. Yeah, I mean, what a great segue you just gave me. I, I read the article um, in High Times you did with TH Caesar about tissue culture, and I thought that was really cool. What was it that first caused you to get involved with tissue culture? How did you first find out about it? Oh, about 2014, I found out about it, and I was just fascinated by it. I thought it seemed really interesting the way forward possibly. So it took me a while to get, get into it, but I was able to meet some people at the, uh, like DSG Labs who interested in to know labs and networking through my relationships and it's been pretty amazing to see what tc can do with the plant how you can really um improve plants and really revitalize them through tc and back up so much genetics easily with tc it has lots of advantages so it's really cool to see moving forward and see where it can go i don't think i've ever really spoken to anyone who got tissue culture done on their clones do you believe that tissue culture would get rid of like that vigor issue we just mentioned in the prior question, or it's more like getting rid of hop latent virus, like you mentioned. Uh, I, I've seen TC bring back vigor. I don't think it's not going to bring back like terps. Like I think uh, like plants like drifted and the terps are kind of like gone. Like that's not going to like change that. I, I haven't seen that. Like going to like bring back the sour diesel terp. I haven't seen that happen. So I think there's some misconceptions for sure. But overall, I would definitely see it bring back vigor and plant health on plants that need it. Certain, certain ones, not all of them, not like a blanket approach, but it definitely can help certain plants for sure. And do you feel like the difference between the clone once it's undergone the tissue culture process versus before is quite substantial or it's more like a subtle thing you need to be familiar to pick up on? Some plants are night and day. Some plants go from like one pound to two and a half pounds overnight with the TC. It's, it's really amazing to see the difference. Some plants, it's a subtle difference. It's, it's very different from cultivar to cultivar. Wow. That's exciting. And I mean, do you think that we'll see like this delineation over time where like there's a subdivision between like there's like 
the sour D clone and the tissue sour D clone and like the tissue one gets like a bit hoarded or whatever. Do you think that we'll see that divergence over time or not really? Definitely think there's something to be said for constantly replenishing your mother's stock with TC. So you know, the people that do that will definitely have a different version of their cut over time. If, if the people that can back it up faster in TC2 before it like gets older or gets beat up, definitely think we'll have a more uh, elite version of that cut for sure. So it's, you'll see some of that moving forward for sure. Okay, cool. And I mean, as a final sort of question on tissue culture, do you think that it's just going to become a standard part of the industry where like pretty much most successful breeders end up getting their older stuff tissue culture? Or do you feel like it's still a bit of a sort of nuanced thing that not everyone's necessarily going to engage in? I think it's still a nuance and still new. I think it'll take a while for it to play catch on. It'll always be the traditional breeder in this space doing his old proven way. Well, I think that'll still be around, but I definitely think going forward, the more recreational grower, the more mainstream growers and how to adapt to the, the TC, it's, it'll definitely become a standard move forward as the industry progresses, I think. Sure. And I mean, over the past, say, two years or probably probably more, but for me, I've noticed it in the past two years or so that like different lighting has come a long way, particularly the LED stuff. What's your thoughts on the LED lights? Have you jumped on board that yet? I've used it for some pollinations for sure and for flowering. I see some advantages to it. I mean, Definitely is a different lighting. There's so, so much lighting that's coming on the scene recently, it's hard to keep track of it all, but LED definitely has a place to stay for sure and definitely can help in a, in a grow. And um, it definitely, yeah, I don't really have any preference over, over the two, but it definitely is, is a, a good lighting for sure. You can do good breeding with it in small spaces with like tents and stuff like that and not have to worry about heating as much and burning your plants. Yeah, certainly. It's good for the, the reduced heat output. You mentioned doing pollinations there. What's your preferred style of pollination? Like kind of doing it by hand and having a, a real hands-on approach to things? Or do you just like to stick the mail in the room and give it a good shake? A very hands-on, checking on each plant, making sure it's pollinated up and down and it's like covered and getting the most out of each plant for, for seed production. Sure. And I think it was the uh, the late Subcool who said that he liked to pollinate around week two, week three. What's your sweet spot for pollination in order to get like really good seed output as well as good seed quality in terms of maturation? Around week two and a half to week three, just week four, it's latest for farm seeds. It's, I found it works the best. Sure. And do you tend to do a, like a few pollinations or just the one and that's pretty pretty satisfactory? What do you mean one polish? I'll, I'll polish you know, two or three times at least, maybe four times, a couple of rounds in the room, we can make sure it's fully saturated and fully covered. Yeah, 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 you, you nailed the question perfectly. So, I mean, have you ever worked with any of your females that you're reversing to do a pollination and you've found that, like, the pollen's not particularly, like, it's not being taken by the female plants? I've never had that happen, actually. It's all been pretty um, successful and very robust with this pollination and seed production. Yeah, oh, amen. That's awesome. I just, I always read about like, you know, how there's the infamous TK, which is like you, people really struggle to get pollen from it. And you hear about, you know, on the other end of the equation, Mac 1, which is not accepting the pollen. And it's kind of an interesting concept, the idea of like plants not wanting to accept pollen in a certain regard. I've seen that with Mac 1 for sure. I, I did a pollination with Mac 1 in the Jeff Gelato and basically dumped a whole Mac 1 plant and got about like 10, 15 seeds. So I've seen that happen with Mac. I forgot about that. The max weird like like that, so it's, I'm not sure what causes that to happen, but it's definitely a weird plant for pollination. Yeah, 
Overall, what would be your advice for kind of a, a novice, kind of more emerging breeder, someone who's trying to get the wheels rolling on their own thing? What would be some advice you'd give them in terms of like how they can do it properly and help establish a good name and brand for themselves? Um, try to make something unique of your own first before you start your brand. Create a unique cultivar of your own and work that. Make sure it's stable and unique. And once you have something of your, of your own, it's unique. It's kind of like use that as like your your introduction to the flavor. Um, I think too many people, people just like take a pack of seeds and like pop, pop them and find a few you know, other breeders. If you do some real work, it makes them unique on your own. You know, it's just one cross, but it's your own flavor. You have a lot better chance of making waves with your, with your own company. Definitely. Something I've noticed about your brand Compound is that you've done really well in terms of getting your seeds into a variety of different seed banks and distributors and it, it's really helping to get the seeds out there to market, so to speak. What would be your advice for someone who's hoping to get their seeds to a seed bank at some point? Do you think it's just about presentation and like promoting the brand or what's your advice on that front? I think presentation is definitely very important. And having good photographs and good Instagrams, uh, social media presence is, is huge, I think. And just having the right genetics and the right, the right names. I think naming is important and branding is key for um, having a new brand now as, as the market continues to um, progress. So branding, branding and presentation is, is a big thing. And just if you're a fire, you'll, you'll do well. I mean, just, yeah, proof is in the pudding. I mean, on that exact topic, many people will point to Cookie Fam and to a lesser extent to Runts and say that these are the the leaders in terms of illustrating that marketing and brand presentation is arguably the most important thing in the industry. Obviously, it needs to be backed by a good quality product, but marketing is king. Would you agree with that sort of idea? Marketing is definitely important. I think quality is king over marketing. You get a really pretty bag and a really nice branding, but if you don't have a fire flower in the bag, it's only going to go so far. I think quality should trump that all. And really good marketing with really good genetics. And I think if you have both of those, you'll do really well. Yeah, solid sentiment there. So just a few questions ago, you referenced the idea of like if you had like a fire strand, but there was some herms in it, like rather than releasing it, you would just sort of release cuts and try to get those out to people. I'm noticing that there's an increase of that in the industry in terms of like um, we've seen JBZ do it with the cookie fam a bit, like kind of like um, contracting or creating certain cuts for them to then sell under their line. Is this something you're going to pursue further? Because I noticed that I think you're likewise doing that with the cookie fam. Is that right? Yeah, I'm working extensively with cookies and burn right now to, to develop players for their menu and to create new strains for their brands and for the move forward. So, over the next year, you'll see a large amount of uh, compound flavors for the cookies brand. I'm going to be working with most of their library. So we'll have seed lines and um, cultivars for the flower brand and um, a whole, new, whole bunch of new projects coming forward. It's very exciting. Yeah, okay. There was some rumors that JBZ was working pretty exclusively with cookies going forward. And I've heard that maybe he's bowing out and you're going to become the more prime time collaborator with cookies. Is there any truth to that? Um, I can't speak on JBZ. I'm not sure what he's doing, but I'm definitely working with more with Burner and definitely have a tight relationship with him. We'll see Compound and Cookies a lot next year and move forward. So, yeah, Compound Cookies is here to stay for sure. And doesn't the name roll off the tongue as well? Compound Cookies, I love it. <laughs> yeah, I like it too. And Runs Compound, they're both, they're both catchy. Yeah, Runs Compound as well. Like You imagine like a little jail being like staffed by little Runs guys. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Cool. So, 
I think the the next question that comes to mind is I'd love to just quickly chat about Burner for a sec because I've I've become a bit of a Burner fan over the past year or so and I think that it all started when Sticker Farmer put up a post saying like, you know, people hate on Burner but the reality is this guy has created an industry in terms of like exotics and there are so many people who are putting food on the table because of what he's done. And I thought that's a really unique perspective on Burner that no one's really put out there, but it's true as far as I can tell. Like people are eating because of this guy. Do you feel like there's truth in that statement? Um, I definitely think Burner's paved the way. He's definitely an industry leader. He's definitely um, a visionary as far as that's concerned. Um, he's definitely opened the doors for me. So yeah, he's definitely an uh, influential person in the scene. He's definitely helped many people make, make a name for themselves and continues to. Sure. And I think sometimes people try to like give him a bit of flack saying like, you know, like he's just this hype man. He doesn't do much, but I got a sneaking suspicion that he probably works very hard behind the scenes. What's your perspective on that? Oh, he works very hard. I mean, I call me at like seven o'clock in the morning with ideas and we're constantly on go. He's definitely lives and breathes, eats and sleeps. And so his energy is intense with this and he, he definitely, it's his passion. You can tell. So he's easy to hate on because he's the king. He's on top and he only has a target on his back, but at the end of the day, he's a really nice guy. He's been very, very good to me. And I can't say anything bad about, about him at all. His work, I think, is solid. One of the best in the industry. I probably should have asked you a bit earlier. How did you first get in touch with him, and how did this collaboration come about? Um, originally, about two years ago, he reached out to me to, to do a project in Oregon. We talked about that for a while. I didn't really came from, to, from that, but um, when I moved to L.A., or to California, excuse me, um, I reached out to him again, and he, he asked for some samples, and we connected that way. Yeah, sure. Okay, cool. And what do you think is the future for the Cookies crew? And can I put a little prediction out there that um, I feel like apples and bananas has just taken off? It, it, it's top for sure. It's going to be a stable strain for the next year for sure. I mean, more fire flavors, more, more compound, more, um, more, more innovation, more uh, leading the pack for sure. Yeah, that's exciting stuff to be able to follow. So, I mean, following up on the apples and bananas, it's it's one of the strains from you that has seriously caught my attention, possibly more than others, along with obviously the masses just jumping on it like hotcakes. Um, what is it about this strain that you think makes it so unique? Is it is it a balance between those two sort of flavor profiles or what makes it stand out to you? Um, it's a combination of things. I think the, the, the name, the flavor profile, the terpene profile, the, the bag appeal, the, the potency, it just it checks all the boxes and it's, the branding with burn just took it to the next level. So I think it's, it's, it's a staple. It's, it's a really it's a good strain. It grows well. It's vigorous and it yields buds that are really appealing to smoke and look at and just all around enjoyable to have in your, your, your jar and your, your bowl. So I think it's going to be a good, 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 good responses towards it. So I haven't heard anything really bad about it. So um, it's been, been really fortunate to have that response and see it been received so well. So hopefully it continues to make waves and it does well. I think, I think, I think it's going to be uh, one of the hot ones moving forward. And how would you describe the flavor profile on it? Because I've heard a lot of people talk about the apple flavor, not from apples and bananas, but just the apple flavor in general. And they say like, oh, you know, like it's not really bang on apple. It's kind of a round apple. Would you describe apples and bananas as having like a, a somewhat clear apple and banana flavor or is it more leaning to one side than the other? It's more like, more like a gassy, like... Um ripe apple with a banana exhale it's not really a true apple like like, like a sour apple or apple fruit it's more of a, a, a more of a dried apple i'd say it's more of a more of a gassy fruit it's not, not true like a fruity fruit it's more more there's more, more gas in there more of a, a fuely flavor 
Sure. And I mean, you just referenced their apple fritter. I've noticed that the fritter is really doing well for itself and doing the rounds at the moment. Do you feel like that has the bang on apple flavor? Um, not, I don't know about bang on, but it's, like, it's an apple turp. I mean, it's kind of paved the way for the whole apple trend right now. You see last year, I think, along with the sour apple itself, but I don't think it's a good representation of apple for sure. Yeah, okay, sure. Do you plan on doing any more work with... Because I think apple fritters from Lumpy, is it? Yeah, Lumpstas, I believe, out of Sacramento. Yeah, do you, are there any other sort of cuts or strains from Lumpy that you plan to work with in the future? Uh, I don't have any other ones. This is the only one I have right now. His work is really, really unique. Though. He's one of the, the trendsetters currently in the industry for sure. Great answer. So, just to jump back to the apples and bananas for a moment, one of the things I was wondering more than anything is what are the genetics behind it? It's a uh, Granddaddy Purple by Putnam Cookies by Blue Power by Gelati. It's a mixture of the Gelati with like the, the Granddaddy Purple and some like Blue Power gas from Sin City Seeds. Wow, that's a really cool mixture of like new and old genetics. Do you have any fond memories of the Granddaddy Purple? Um, uh, no, really, it was never big on my radar. Initially, it was kind of late to the table with that one, unfortunately. Okay, and how about Blue Power? I feel like that's making a resurgence with Sin Cities having that newer release recently. Yeah, they do lots of good work for sure. I'm big fans of them. They've been around for a while. That's cool. So, yeah, really kind of nice mixture of different things. What's the next step for you with the apples and bananas? Is it the rose gold runs? I'm going to be doing a feminized line with burner cookies the next year that we're working on now. Uh, so I'm going to do a BX line with a regular line with a new meal. I'm trying to find to, to BX that and more called order to develop with the rose gold runs and just trying to find new unique from, from the seeds we make with that. I'm also doing a, a gastropop with the grape gasoline by apples, apples and bananas with Canada. So, we're hunting that soon, trying to find some standout or phoenix from that as well. Wow. That, uh, the hybrid with the grape gasoline, that sounds like that's going to be like fruit punch amazingness. Yeah. It's, I came up with the name Gastropop and I made the cross. We just named that, named that recently. So, and then see they just finished. So, we're about to hunt that. So, I'm very excited for that one also. Wow. Yeah, that's cool. And I mean, you mentioned you're going to be doing a line with cookies next year with it. Are there any females from the cookie library like that, that, that like, you know, Burner's got that you think it's going to pair particularly well with or maybe like a bit of a secret female that people aren't aware of, but you think it's going to make waves when you pair it together? Oh, man, so much stuff. I'm really excited to work with the, the Burner cultivars, um, especially like the F1 Darun, one of the original cookie cuts. Um, his grenadine, um, his... Uh, we're going to have the fish scale also, one of the other new cookie compound cuts. Um, there's a bunch of new stuff. So the new, like the miniature blotto and some cherry brumies and some sour cherry stuff. So you just got a bunch of different, you know, so I'm excited to sift through the new uh, samples and try to find the, the best ones using our, our collaboration. Wow, yeah, you just gave me so many good avenues to go off on. I think the first one thing that you've just brought to mind is I, I it's now clicked in my head that obviously you've got access to the Cookie Fam genetics. So when I see on your drops that maybe you've made a hybrid with Snowman, is that with the real Snowman or with the S1 that's still quite hard to get but not the original one, I guess? Um, yeah, all my cuts are original from Cookie Fam for sure. Is there any Snowman stuff or anything from Powers? That's all his work, but... Any cuts are definitely official from the cookies for sure. Okay. And I mean, you referenced the F1 Durban just in that previous answer. Have you seen that flower on its own? And like, what's your thoughts on it? Because it's such an elusive thing to come by. Like, people, so there's a lot of people out there who still don't even know if it really exists, including myself. I have not seen any flower at all. So I'm very excited to see some burn. Just got the cut recently. So 
Actually, I have some examples a couple days ago, so I'm curious to see more about, about it myself. Yeah, wow, that's exciting. The fish scale, have you been lucky enough to try that? I haven't actually been able to come across that one in flower form. Yeah, I made that cut, so it's one of the new cookie compact flavors as well. It's a, it's a cross of the menthol, but high society. High society is a Jeffville Bob Biscotti, so it's Jeffville Biscotti by the menthol. It's really, really gassy. Um, Tricone coverage, cultivar, very, very unique. Yeah, awesome. I mean, congrats. I've heard that one's doing really quite well for itself. That's awesome to see. Yes, one of the new ones for next year as well. So it feels like Cookies has struck on a winning equation whereby they get like a really skilled breeder that they're happy with to help them with the breeding work and then they kind of take more um, control over like the, the marketing and the distribution side of things. Is that how you envision this collaboration going forward or do you think that you've both got more input in either side of the equation than maybe I'm making it out like? I think it's more of a harmonic relationship, more... Uh on the same page, I think I, I have marketing and creative uh, control as, as well as, as they do. Uh, we will have a good vision moving forward. So I think it's more of a, a fair a fair uh, collaboration, I think, moving forward. They definitely have a good marketing approach and a good uh, vision for that. But I definitely think um, we, we, it's a good fit. We, we, we both complement, complement each other. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the secret to winning success, I guess, is that, yeah, you're both helping out. I read in an article that was talking about apples and bananas. It said said a line that really got me thinking. It said, sneakerheads line up out front of Supreme stores to get the newest shoe drop, and soon many of these same people will be lining up out front of dispensary for the new apples and banana drops from Cookies and Compound Collab. Do you feel like this statement is true in that the cannabis scene is becoming a marketplace where the hype beasts are starting to really get involved who were maybe once historically more just invested in the sneaker game, but now they're trying to be likewise at the forefront of the cannabis scene? Definitely. I think cannabis is becoming more trending as it becomes more legal and it becomes more accepted publicly. I think you're going to see more and more, more trends and more um, shifts into that as, as the market progresses. Yeah, okay, exciting, exciting. And do you think that we're going to see just a continual rise of more of the exotic types of strains or do you think that there is still room for other strains to do well in the masses? I think there's room for all of them. It's just proven in the pudding. So if a good cultivar done right, it will stand out and shine. Yeah, okay, good answer. So I was doing a bunch of digging around your Instagram finding some questions and I came across a post which caught my eye which was that when you were testing the Joker's Crossed there was a, a tube which I think had a seedling in it that was Joker's Crossed to Black Lime Reserve and that caught my eye because I, I like Black Lime Reserve it's a neat strain from Aficionado and Mean Gene. Is this a line that like you know caught your attention and you want to work with it in the future or was it just more of like a little experiment you were toying with i received those seeds from a friend so that's actually a gift that someone gave me that i decided to include my, my most recent opinion on so i'm excited to see what those, what those seeds hold that hopefully it's some gems i'm a big fan of the black line reserve also so well time will tell i'll let you know soon that those are about to be, be flowered yeah i mean it seems like a cool cross to me so i'm excited to follow the results on that one so a question i bring up in every episode because it's just a staple of our show in general is chemdog i've seen that you've worked with the chemd in a few crosses you've also worked with uh, chemd i95 hybrids all killer stuff what are your thoughts on the chemdog cuttings and do you have a preferred one i don't know floral fire as far as i'm concerned i like the gas in the, on the flavor the high is incredible. It's a very unique high. 
I'm not really prone to the high. It's more of a knock you on your ass high. As far as I'm concerned, I'm, I'm not more of a daytime smoker, so I don't like to be so inhabilitated or, or knocked out, but it's really a staple for sure. I wholeheartedly agree with you on that one. I am uh, someone who does enjoy smoking during the day, but it's yeah, it's it can be debilitating at times when you smoke the chem. I guess my question becomes, what's some of your favorite daytime smoke then that just kind of puts you in that right spot to you know not be couch lock and still go about your daily activities? Right now, my go-to is runs crosses. I really like the runs profile. It's a strong terpene profile, but it's not too strong. It's right around like 24, 25. The maximum, so I like, I like that. What's a good turbine profile? So it's a good daytime smoker, and it kind of keeps me through the day. I like to have smoke. It's really strong and turby. Sure. And do you ever smoke any like sort of wild sativas, like you know, this sort of anxiety-inducing ones you sometimes hear about, or not so much? No, I, I try to stay away from those. I'm not a fan of those at all. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I used to be the exact same. I hated them. And then somehow, I don't know how, I slowly started to like them a bit more. I kind of found that anxiety a bit fun. But as someone who used to not enjoy it, I, I totally get where you're coming from. As a bit of a random one, is there any strain that jumps to mind for you that was like the most sort of anxiety-inducing one you've ever had? Um, Probably a strain called Golden Pineapple or Mathematic uh, Durbin. It's a cross of uh, NL5 by Durban Poison from the Northwest. It's a really racy sativa. I don't know, it's got you going pretty hard. Wow, that's cool. And yeah, I've actually tried uh, Golden Pineapple before, and that's that's a lovely one. Great terpene profile on it. Yeah, really, really classic pineapple terp. Really strong yield or two. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. So, in general, what are some genetics, either from your own or from outside of your own work from other people, what are some genetics that you're excited to pop next? Um, next, probably the, the white runs crosses are on my radar. I'm really looking forward to the runs crosses, um, apples, banana crosses, the grape grass crosses, all, all the new stuff that's going to my stuff for next year. Um, the cookies layers, all, all the stuff that I'm working on, the gas, the runs crosses, I mean, the skiller crosses are big for me right now. I'm really a big fan of skiller crosses and gas and all the cookie stuff. I'm really excited. It's all, it's all trending for me. And I mean... The the debate is age old, so I don't expect you to necessarily give any definitive rulings. But a lot of people often speculate about the genetics within Skittles as well as the genetics within cookies. I don't suppose you have any speculations about what's exactly involved in either of those clones. I'm not sure exactly at all, but I know I'm good friends with uh, the Turpogs guys that made Skittles, and I'd say that what they say is true. I mean, I know Tony; he's a regular guy, and he's not one to lie, so. I believe him as far as when he says grape ape by sweet tooth or something like that. I definitely think that it's just a weird pheno you know, that kind of came out with Turby without the actual structure and the appeal. And, I mean, when we look at Skittles itself, you often hear people talk about how it just doesn't quite have that bag appeal that some of the other exotics have. If you were to come across a, a new strain that was similar to that, or even in general when you're just working with Skittles, do you view that as like, no biggie, just got to make a cross that brings the bag appeal and just keeps everything else? Or do you view that as like, oh, that's a, the kind of like a bit of a bad trait for a strain to have? It's a bad trait for sure. I think Skittles kind of got lucky with that one. I'm not sure what contributed. They definitely think hard to replicate that over. But with that said, I think Terps are king. And terps will always shine over structure. I think market will still appreciate a cut as far as worthiness of Terps over structure and vigor. The cultivator is just going to hate it. So it's a fine balance of what the market wants versus what the cultivator wants to cultivate. So 
it'll be interesting to see how that moving forward in the industry. Do you have any speculations about what is in fact inside cookies? Um, no idea. No, I can't comment on that at all. Yeah, I, I honestly think that we'll probably never find out. I agree with you probably too. It's going to be a mystery for sure. Yeah, and I mean, it really probably actually just adds to the mystique, right? I mean, the fact I'm asking you about it right now is just kind of a testament to like why maybe it's a good thing we don't find out. Yeah, and if you do, same thing with ChemDog. Who knows what ChemDog means? It's a mystery to a degree. Yeah, exactly. I agree, I agree. So, on the topic of Terps, I noticed that in your library you made a cross called the Leopard and I, I loved the name of the mum, Cheetos Kush. Not only is it a cool name, but it also kind of evokes these cool images of flavour. Where did that one come from and what's it like, the Cheetos Kush? I see that cut from a friend of mine called Manic Farms. It's a cross of a boba kush by UK cheese, a boba like, structure with the, the cheese profile. But the cushy aspect to it, it's really unique. Wow, yeah. So I guess it probably does have like a Cheetos sort of flavor. Yeah, it's really spot on with the name for sure. That's awesome. That's awesome. And I guess it raises the idea of how important do you think a name is to a cross? You know, like some names uh, make and break, but other names, you can't help but feel like they're not really fitting. What's your approach when naming a strain? I think names are very important moving forward. It really just kind of sets the tone for a strain. You know, a bad name can really hold a strain back as far as appeal in the market. But um, I, I think naming is really critical. I think most people don't do, do strains justice with, with cheesy names or names that are very classy. I try to try to have names that are stand the test of time, more timeless names, more um, uh, well thought out names, not just something that's kind of thrown together. I try to really be creative and figure out things that are going to last, kind of like stick around for a while and appeal to a wider audience. Yeah, definitely. I can't remember who it was, but in a previous episode, we spoke about how like. It's a bit frustrating when a really cool name gets given to a shitty strain because, like, now you just can't use that name anymore. <laughs> exactly, yeah. It's, it's horrible. Yeah, okay. On that general line of thinking, are there any of your lines that you feel like haven't properly been discovered by the general public or, as the uh, the fans might say, they've been a little slept on? Um, no, actually, my, my lines are pretty well received, I think. I, I'm actually grateful for that, I think. Uh, they've been almost too well received where they, they sell it so fast I can't really keep up with the demand so um, I think I think moving forward I want to get more seats out there to more my fan base so they think it's real compound stuff so it's really a humbling experience and awesome to see move forward yeah I mean gosh what a position to be in my seeds are too well received <laughs> it's it's crazy it's, 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 it's still takes me back every day yeah that's awesome to hear I guess uh, another question I was really interested in asking you is that there's been such a prevalent rise in the consumption of concentrates over the past four or five years, particularly with like the sort of casual enthusiast getting involved in cannabis more and more, and we see a lot of increase in vape pen sales and whatnot. Do you think there's merit to trying to breed a strain specifically for concentrates or for like vape pen production, given how prevalent it is? Or do you think that's just like... Uh, a secondary thought to just creating a good plan in general i think there's something to be said for that for sure there's definitely a market for that move forward i think there's definitely certain profiles you bring up for for concentrates that are different from flower production that are they're huge they definitely have advantages versus traditional flower production i haven't really dealt in that myself i don't really see, see people doing that like bloom seed co and like only seed co are definitely focused on the more uh, uh extract worthy cultivars but it's definitely something i i haven't really dabbled in 
Sure. And do you have any strong feelings one way or the other about the rise in popularity of vape pens? Because some breeders and some people within the industry are kind of really not exactly stoked about it. I don't remember really what I think. I think the high is different. The taste is a little off, but there's a place for them for sure in the market, but I'm more of a rosin guy. Ah, rosin. Is that, that the go-to? Yeah, that's what my, my concentrate for sure. Like, would you say that you prefer rosin over, say, flour? Uh, no, not at all. Flour is king for me, for sure. Flour first. Oh, man, after my own heart. Yeah, it starts start the, the, the core first, and then you go to the extract after the flour. Uh, to get the, 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 the real deal first. That's it, yeah. I, I think, for me, nothing will ever get me as satisfied as just trying some nice flour. It's got to be the bee's knees. I agree with you, man, fully. So, with that being said, um, are there any sort of um, strains you've ever made or just tried, maybe not necessarily made by you, where they really just blew you away once you got some flour of it? Well, I've tried... Um one of my favorite strains I tried was um, some of lavender in Amsterdam when I lived there. I remember that terpene profile being so amazing. I really haven't experienced that since that, since that date. Blown away by that, by that profile. One of my favorite ones. Yeah, that's actually an interesting one. We hear a lot of people reminisce about Soma's lavender. I wonder what happened to it. I don't know. I'm sure it's has it somewhere. Let's hit him up and find out. So, I mean, to get back to kind of some of the more recent work you've been doing in terms of your collaborations with various people, before we get into the some more kind of specific questions about it, I wanted to ask you a general question, which is that in the past we've spoken to guests and they've spoken about how they hope that over time there'll be this emergence of like the ultra high-end cannabis market, kind of in the same way we see that with like champagne or with whiskey, you know, like the real primo of the primo. Do you think that with the current trends in the community where people are willing to pay more for weed and um, willing to pay more for exclusive cannabis and things like that, do you think that we will see the development of such a premium market or like a terroir or an Appalachia sort of thing like that over time? I think so. I think, I think the market's very early in its, in, in its um, progression. I think as you see more legalization of acceptance in the market coming forward you'll see a lot more maturity of things as far as what you described yeah okay do you feel like it's still emerging or like we're there now already we're very early i think it's still very 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 early there's still a lot to come a lot more more events and a lot more levels of presentation and experiences to, to come industry i think we're still still in the very 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 early phases of it Sure. And to kind of bring back in the ideas we were discussing about the names of strains in relation to this high-end market, do you have any strong feelings about the name game at the moment in the sense that we've heard people in the past express a certain sentiment that like they're not super fond of like the dessert menu sort of names where, you know, every sort of dessert is getting used up. And we're now even seeing things like you mentioned with the sushi and, you know, there's Wagyu. So we're even moving away from dessert. Do you think that we're going to move away from dessert names? Do you think that that's going to have any impact on the development of this high-end market? Or do you think it's just people being weird about names? I think people are being weird about names. I think some of these names are here to stay. They're not going to go away anytime soon. I'll be curious to see how the naming plays out once you can actually trademark names. People are using names over again. There's no, rule, like, there's no rules to naming. People are just renaming names that people have used in the past. And, it's getting kind of messy, so it'll be interesting to see how that pans up moving forward and how 
how people can actually lock their names and secure their names illegal asset once these things become legal sure and i mean while we're kind of talking about the names how do you feel having done this collaboration with khalifa has affected you like with wiz in terms of do you feel cross is using the khalifa og do well because of the name just on its own or do you think it's not as simple as that i think they definitely do well on their own i think the name is more of a, a widely known in the market now as marketing behind it. i think i really think the marketing help helps um that strength go well i mean it's also a good, good og to give us a combination effect but I really think those guys have the advantage of being ahead of the curve with the marketing and having a presence in the industry for a time since you first do marketing. So I think that that'll play well for them moving forward and contribute to their success. Do you think that doing collaborations with like entertainers, like rappers, for example, is going to be something we see more of in the future? Because I remember initially when Burner first hit the scene, people were really critical of the fact that like he had this sort of rap gig on the side, but it's now seems like it's becoming more mainstream and just introducing more people into the cannabis scene. What's your thoughts on the collabs with like famous entertainers and the like? I think there'll be lots of them moving forward, but I'm cautious to like do them with everyone. I, if you look at my DM on Instagram, I get certain messages every day from people wanting to do strains constantly. How much does it cost to do a strain, or how, how do I get a strain? So everyone wants that. So you'll see plenty of people trying to jump on that bandwagon moving forward. But um, who can do it right? Who can actually execute it properly and not water it down and, and do it? I, mean, I see so many brands coming out right now that have poor quality of flower and poor just quality overall. I think if you don't have quality and don't have something that's unique and um, people, people won't go very far. So yeah, that's the key for those products. And, I mean, a real stay in the industry. Oh, man. I'm going to have to thank you again for replying to my email considering you got famous rappers <laughs> filling up the inbox. Yeah, all kinds of people. It's crazy. So they get people, people wanting strains make you, make you horny. Weird, weird messages. You laugh at some of the stuff I hear. <laughs> like a Viagra company hitting you up. Yeah. Rappers hit me for that stuff. People, people, people are wild with their ideas. It's, it's crazy. Wow, that's cool. I mean, something which just came to mind that I would love to ask you before I forget about is that I've seen this sentiment expressed by a few different people within the community where they're saying, like, many of the top brands at the moment, you ask them about their grow space and, like, they don't even have grow spaces, like, they're outsourcing to other people. Do you think that that's going to become more standard or do you think that's even, is there any even truth to that as far as you can tell? Um. There's definitely truth to that. Lots of people are outsourcing and doing what they Definitely common in, in this industry. I think very few people actually have it all, all vertically, vertically integrated. Like um, some people do very rare to see someone doing it all on their own. Most people have some partners to some degree. It seems like so uh, challenging to get it all dialed all, all by yourself. So I think it's more of a, uh, over time to see that happening with, with brands. I think you'll see what labeling done for a while. You'd be surprised how many brands have white labeling done for yeah I, and do you think over time that it's just going to become segregated like there'll be people who produce and then they sell to the brands and then the brands retail or do you think it's just a temporary period we're in um i think it'll still continue i mean you know, i think lots of these brands that, are, that are, have brands that will kind of fail and have to end up doing what they end up to survive so it'll be a mixture of the ones that can hold on hold on to their actual brand and for themselves the ones that have to kind of like fall for that just to survive yeah, sure. I guess, yeah, certain times people find themselves in a bit of a tight spot. So, 
to jump away from that for just a moment, I just wanted to quickly jump back to the breeding stuff for a second. We often talk to breeders about their sort of hierarchy of traits in terms of like, for you, you've mentioned already terps is very important. But in terms of things like yield, ease of growing, stability, what are sort of some of the things that you think of first and foremost in your mind when you're creating a new cross that you want it to have within it? Besides terps, I'd say structure and, and vigor and potency. I think it's very important that a cultivar viable for us when to cultivate on a commercial scale before in the recreational market. So I don't, don't want to make cultivars that are just like check one box or, or terpenes or, or potent with better shitty yields and bad vigor. I think it's very important to ch- check all the boxes and really focus on robust genetics moving forward and things that really please all aspects of the, the cultivation and um, flower profile. Yeah, sure. Like having it well-rounded. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah, it's very important for me. So what's your thoughts on the current sort of seed pricing within the market? I've heard people in the past talk about how, like, we should get standardized pricings where, like, you know, everyone sells an F1 for the same price, blah, blah, blah. Do you have any particular thoughts about the seed game and pricing, or do you think it's just, like, market forces? I think it's market forces, and I think some banks charge more than others, unfortunately. They don't really abide by bigger rules, so. I think it all comes down to just your, your brand presence and how, how good, your, good your seeds are. I think really the proof is in the pudding. So should pay for what you get for. And I really don't like the idea of really expensive seeds. I think, they, I think they should be more middle of the road, uh, not too expensive, whether like rare gen people, people don't want to pop if they're so expensive, but middle of the road. Sure. I think the reason why this came to mind for me is because I remember not too long ago, there was a lot of people who were a bit upset about the price point of that runs release. And I think many of the packs were selling for around $700 each. Do you feel like there should be any sort of upper limit to how much seed should cost? Like, should there be any consideration for like sort of having cost accessible lines for the public? Or do you think, look, it's just market forces. If someone wants to offer like a cheaper line for other people to be able to grow their work out, so be it. Or what's your thoughts on it? Is it just a case that not everyone gets to own a Gucci bag, so to speak? I think there should be seeds that are available to the public at a cheaper price and anyone can buy by there's something to be said for seeds that are upper scale, like you know, more, more luxury seeds. I mean, I know with those run seeds, those are very, very limited. And those guys put lots of time in developing those seeds. So have a more exclusive, limited uh, release only available to certain people in a small scale. So uh, that was their approach. I think $700 is excessive for, for seed tax. So I think likewise, some of those same people who weren't too happy about the runs release kind of had some concerns that maybe that seed drop was the result of a crop failure that kind of pollinated itself. Do you think there's any merit to that idea or do you think it's just simply a case that the runs team kept the project under wraps and didn't really reveal it until it was complete? I think it's later. I know those guys vote very well. I know they did extensive testing on those lines. They put lots of work in it. It wasn't a fly by night or an accident. They, 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 did, they, did, they did real work with that. It was pretty thought out. Thought out. They just didn't have photographs when they released it. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, another line of yours which caught my eye because it's really cool was Legend Orange yeah, Apricot yeah. F2. Um, my first question was, does it have an actual apricot taste? Because I've never been able to come across that flavor profile before. It does to a degree. It's more of an orange profile. I'd say a mixture of orange with apricot-esque. The actual um, meal we used didn't translate to tree apricot, in my opinion, as opposed to the, to the original orange apricot cultivar from Obsolete, but 
there's definitely some orange in, in some Abraham in there for sure. Sure. And what was your kind of goal when making the F2s? Was it just to get a bigger genetic diversity so you could find a male more specifically embodying what you wanted? Or how did you go about doing the F2? I received those seeds as F2 when I received them. I originally got the seeds from Capulator at Child Festival in 2016. And I hunted those seeds and found the male, and I made the F3. So they were already F2 when I received them. So luckily, I already had that, that trait locked in. That makes sense because I noticed that um, on the website you spoke about how there was all these various breeders who'd work had gone into this line. You mentioned Capulator and Harry Palms and Rado and Oni and stuff. Um, I don't think I noticed any mention of Obsolete. Was he that? Was that where the Orange Apricot line came from? Yeah, it was Obsolete made the original Orange Apricot clone, and I believe uh, Capulator found a male of that from his original seed stock and pointed the the legend OD cut. And that's what made the F1, and then you made the F2 from that. So, yeah, it was an orange apricot from obviously the original release. Nice. And what sort of characteristics can people expect your male to bring to crosses? Does it bring that sort of apricot-esque flavor you mentioned? It does, yeah. The, the male's very dominant. So basically, all the, the crosses I found that were heavy orange apricot dominant. Basically, every, everything just came out all that stuff, unfortunately. So, everything you find would be very apricot orange heavy. Um, the line's pretty old, so it's three years old. So it's, all the seeds are pretty much sold out, but anything you find will be very apricot orange heavy with a, kind of like a sativa-esque uh, hybrid high with, with some OG gas in there mixed in there too. So it's, it's unique for sure, but it's definitely not my current go-to. Oh, I mean, it sounds like it's got a little bit of everything in there. Would you ever consider bringing it back, doing some new crosses with it, like pairing it with the white runs, for example, or it's it's had its time and place? So it's time and place and trying to move on and focus on new things. Cool, cool, cool. So the next one I wanted to ask you about, I haven't been able to get anyone to give me any info about this one, but I think you're going to be perfect. And I'm probably about to butcher the name, so please forgive me. The acai berry? Acai berry. Acai, damn it. I was 50-50 about whether I was going to say it the way I said it or the way you said it. <laughs> <laughs> um, that that's like seems like it's a very tightly held cut and it seems very popular. How would you describe the flavor and the high on that one? Uh, it's like a berry kind of it's very dark purple, um, very kind of berry-esque uh, terpene profile. That's why it has the name Asia, I think, for the name because it's kind of like a dark berry kind of purple cultivar. It's more one of the more more mellow gelatos as far as the high, not as potent as the others. Um, it doesn't yield as well, but it's definitely a, a pretty cultivar to look at and kind of breeds. Really purple, purple-esque plants when you cultivate it, when you pollinate it. Um, it's definitely a unique um, flavor, and it's a staple in the gel family. Yeah, I mean, and follow-on question to that: Which of the various gelatos is your personal favorite? Um, probably the forty-one, the Bacchio. Yeah, look, I got to agree. That's definitely my favorite. Yeah, they're all they're all fire. They're all different. I just like the guava a lot. The guava gel is really fire. Oh, okay. How did um, you manage to come across the acai berry? Because I, like, I just don't know anyone else who's got that besides Shabinsky himself. I received it from my friend at uh, Crane City in uh, SF. He gave it to me uh, around the time I did the uh, Jeffield Polynesian back in 2018, I think. Cool. So you've been working on it for a minute. I guess as the follow-up, do you feel like there are any of the gelato cuts which maybe you know aren't the 41 not your personal favorite but you think that when you pair them with males they produce really nice offspring yeah definitely for sure i think they're all good they're all very unique it's, uh, the jaw lines are very um unique uh collection of cultivars which kind of is one of the staples of the, the last couple of years i think 
I think the, the 41 is probably the, the best breeder for sure there. Yeah, sure. We've definitely seen some powerhouses come from that one. And speaking of powerhouses, anyone who's been following your Instagram feed would have seen some amazing-looking photos of the baby Yoda Fino of the Khalifa Mints. Are you able to give us a little bit of a backstory on that one? Yeah, it's a Fino that I got from my friend Ali, pure and proper. It's one that the burr and I selected for the the menu that um it's a menthol by Khalifa Kush. It's really um kicked out uh cultivar with heavy jerkum coverage. Kind of got like a soapy, gassy um terpene profile, um just around twenty four to twenty five percent THC. Um, very unique, very um heavy yielder, very um very very robust cultivar. It's really really amazing. I'm excited to get that one out there actually the public more next year. Amazing. And is that one where like people can maybe find their own version in the Khalifa Mint seed packs or you think it's more of like a clone and if they want that, they're probably going to need to track down the clone? I don't think it's a rare phenol for sure. You might, might be able to find some um, similar versions in the seeds, but I doubt you'll find the same one. It's, yeah, all released about 100 packs of the original Khalifa Mint seeds, so they're, they're definitely rare also. Damn, well... There you go, guys. Looks like you're going to have to get the clone itself. And I think I read on, I think it was your Instagram post, that originally you wanted to name it after Mickey Mouse. Was that right? But Disney's a bit litigious. Yeah, that was an article from, from LA Weekly. Wizcliff is the one that came with his name, all his idea and creativity. Yeah, okay, cool. I, I still think Baby Yoda is a dope name for a cut. <laughs> Yeah, we'll see how long we can run with that one, though, because of various reasons, though. <laughs> yeah, see if uh, old George Lucas comes in hard. Yeah, hopefully not. We'll see, though. <laughs> um, speaking of IG, it's we're, we're kind of going through an interesting period at the moment. You know, there's been a lot of companies that have been having issues with IG, removing their posts, censoring them, banning them, all that stuff. It almost seems like you have to say like 10 times in a post these days, like not for sale, not for sale, not for sale. Um, it, it On face value, it seems to me like your Instagram is doing really well with the marketing and whatnot. Do you have any tips or do you feel like it is very hindering and it's just all about how you play the game sort of thing? I have no idea what could really makes it happen. I'm not, not sure why I got lucky. I've had some problems in the past, but overall, crossing fingers, knock on wood, but uh, yeah, I'm not sure what makes that happen, though. It, it seems like a roll of the dice, honestly. Sure. Do you think that there'll ever be some way forward where people can exist on the social media platforms and not be harassed? Because the thing that I noticed the most is that it seems like most of the companies that are sort of having them censored and having stuff removed seem to be legal companies in legal environments. So it's kind of like, at what point are you going to leave us alone? Yeah, I think it'll, it'll, it'll change eventually. I think we're, we're in this kind of weird time frame where... where it's quasi legal in some states, not really federally legal across all, all states. So I think once it changes, more companies accept it nationwide and becomes more publicly accepted. You'll, you'll see more changes and more more acceptance on social media. I just hope so. Sure. So a few times throughout our chat, you've mentioned um, that you're hoping to release cuts or that cuts are released. Do you think this is going to be one of the ways in which breeders operate moving forward where they don't only sell seeds, but they start to get cuts out to either clone dispensaries or like they, they contract them to various parties? Is that something you see gaining popularity going forward? Definitely, definitely. I think it's a huge in the market moving forward as we have more um, legalization, I think. People, people want those proven breeder cuts. You know, I think it's a huge market for that move forward. It's important to have yourself clean and TC and, and verified, disease free, and clean before you start a chance of infecting people's gardens if you don't start with proven, proven cultivars. Yeah, sure. 
I mean, kind of a bit of a left of field question, but I, I was just curious to ask you, would you ever consider trying to develop a strain specifically that's like a like on the larger yielding side? Because I think that sometimes you often hear people talk about how they love exotics, but the yields are always like, you know, something you've got to take into consideration when growing them. Would you ever try to reinvent Blue Dream and bring some new sort of thick piece to the game that's just also big yielding? Yeah, it'd be awesome. I like that idea. I was drinking a really big yielding runs cross, and I think one of the drawbacks for runs is people claim that it's yield. So I think that's one of the traits you can improve with runs, and you'll see it over the coming years is, Improved runs cultivars have really strong potency and yield, but with the runs terpene profile from the original cross. How would you describe the runs terpene profile? Some people say that it smells like a, just a mixture of gelato and uh, Skittles. Do you feel like it's more nuanced than that? I think the real white runs is a very strong profile. It's very um, Skittles terpene dominant, but it has a unique. Uh, it's like it's like Skittles and steroid. They're really unique and really strong. In my opinion, it's hard to forget. Yeah, sure. And I mean, sometimes you hear people describe Skittles as having like a sort of soapiness to it. Do you ever pick up on that? And do you think that's the same sort of soapiness that people describe in other strains or they're sort of different ones? I really, I don't taste any, any soapiness in Skittles. It's more like a grapefruity kind of like, um, like a melony kind of like really unique, um, like a grapey. It's hard to describe. It's so flavorful. It's really amazing in my opinion. Sure. And do you have any predictions as to what might be the next big flavor profile to take the scene by storm? Oh, it's a hard one. I think everyone seems on a quest to find the, the old skunk turb. Things kind of lost though. Um, but yeah, I'm not really sure. I know gas is a staple this year here say I think it just revivals of that. Sure. And I mean, you just raised a brilliant little topic of discussion. Many people are currently trying very hard to find or bring back the roadkill skunk. Was that something you ever had any interaction with and or would you ever be interested in trying to track that one down yourself? I haven't had any. I'd love to find some, but it seems like it's a holy grail. It's kind of hard to find. Everyone seems on the quest for it, but we'll see. I would say that the profile might be lost, but hopefully not. Yeah. And uh, as a bit of a random aside question, would you ever consider doing any CBD work? Because I noticed that although there are breeders out there who do work with CBD, you never see like cookies CBD crosses. Is that something you might be interested in looking at or not Not particularly? Yes, I'm actually working on some CBD stuff right now with some partners in Oregon, do some CBD lines with, with some existing cultivars from Compound, basically taking some of the Compound uh, staples and favorites and, and hitting them with some CBD males, so... This is season type 2 and type 3 products next year for sure. Oh, that's exciting. What sort of females jump to mind for you from your collection that you think would blend well into that project? Oh, we had some, like, some Jokers and some High Society, some Apple Bananas as well, some, um, some, of the, some of the staples, some of my classic ones, and blend them with the CBD and it makes some unique crosses. Good answer. I'm sure there's some exciting stuff in there. To jump over to kind of a more community topic, I think a few years ago, it might have been might have been 2018, might have been 2019, I think I saw you guys had a booth at one of the events. Was it Emerald Cup or am I mistaken? Yeah, or Indexo, one of those. Yeah. What's your thoughts on the current state of the sort of events we have? It feels like there's been a bit of a changing 
attitude amongst like the real breeders and real hardcore enthusiasts since rec was introduced and notably we've heard a lot of people say that they're feeling like for example the emerald cup like hasn't quite been the same as in prior years do you share that sentiment and what do you think would be the future of these events can we expect to see compound at these events yeah i think that's definitely changed since realization for sure there's definitely more uh, mainstream now but i think they're here to stay and i think as you see uh, COVID kind of like fade away or you get more under control. I think this is the events come back. I think they're, they're, they're huge and they play a big role moving forward is become yeah, mainstream. So you'll see comments like ones, probably the premier ones, only a few throughout the year. Yeah. If it got to the point, because I think in some states it's now the case that like it's really hard or even not possible to sell seeds at the events. Would you still go to the events if you weren't able to sell seeds, or do you feel like there's got to be some sort of give and take with the breeders themselves? It's sort of events for sure, to just to see some friends and to kind of socialize, but I think you should be able to sell seeds in sample flower. I think it's one of the things that I can't really sell for sample flower, I think it's a big downfall into their full potential. Yeah, certainly. New question we don't really talk about too much, but um, I've noticed that many breeders seem to have interesting like side hobbies, side passions. You know, some people are really into craft beer. Some people are into their like motor cars. Some people are into breeding dogs. Do you have a little side hobby you're particularly fond of? Unfortunately, not. I kind of breathe and eat and sleep this every day. I'm kind of passionate about my work too much, so much to my, my downfall. <laughs> I like to get to some more products, but right now I'm all, all compound all the day, every day. For sure. And I'm bringing a new question into the game because we've asked a few breeders this and I'm going to make it a new staple. What's your favorite food? Uh, Lebanese food, hummus and falafel and um, garbanzo bean stuff, like the whole Mediterranean Middle Eastern food. Oh, Habibi, you should come see me. I live on it. I'm down. Let's do it, man. <laughs> yeah, dude, Lebanese is the best. I'll bring the apples and bananas for dessert. Oh, shit. <laughs> it's a date. <laughs> I'm, I'm down to it. That's awesome. Okay, well, this brings us to the final five questions, which we like to ask all breeders. Okay. So, first one is, what's the most memorable weed you've ever smoked? Um, Probably that, that, that dog shit or the lavender for some of them. My two favorites, for sure. Sure. And is there a strain out there where everyone you knew was like hyping it up talking about how good it was and then you finally tried it and you were like this isn't that good um yeah no offensive capital but the mac is what the one that comes to mind i think that one does tend to polarize a lot of people i i actually really like it but then again i've only tried it like from mac and skunk tech who are both really good growers and i know that there's a lot of people who um maybe don't quite do it justice when they're growing it yeah it's a real cultivar i just only it was up to the hype as far as the return profile it, yeah, it's a really weird profile, isn't it? It's like orange juice and incense mixed together. Like, it's so weird. Yeah, but no offense to Kepler. He's my friend and he's good work on it. It's not my, my cup of tea. Yeah, sure. Look, I, I'm sure it's nothing he hasn't heard before. So, <laughs> chill, chill. So, next question is, I'm about to drop you off at a desert island where you're going to spend the rest of your days there. You can take three strains of weed with you that you have to grow forever. What three strains are you taking? What three clones? Or you can take seed stock if you want. Um, white runs, Jetfield Gelato, and probably um, dog shit. Love it. Nice little mix there. Opposite end of the spectrum. You're about to drop 
someone off to an island, you're not particularly fond of this person. What three strains are you going to leave them with on the island? Um, all the same strains. Love it. Very diplomatic. I like that. So, final question. If you could go back in time to any place throughout history, anywhere around the world, you can just, you've got a time machine. It's going to take you wherever you want. And the goal is you're going to collect either some seeds or some cuttings or whatever it is. Where are you going? When? And what are you collecting? I'd really like to spend more time in the Hashish region of, of Middle East and kind of explore the Hashish streams of Afghanistan and the Middle East, Pakistan, uh, Morocco. Really get involved in that. Always a dream of mine to be involved in the action and see the traditional methods and be immersed in like the old ways. I was going to say, dude, we need to go do the Silk Road together. I'm down to it and eat, eat fluff on hummus. <laughs> oh, what an experience. That'd be so <laughs> lush. Fantastic. Well, that is an amazing answer. I think that just about brings us to the end of things. Was there any shout outs or comments you wanted to make in general? Uh, shout out to shout um, the, the Runs crew, Nick Runs, um, Burner Cookies crew, um, Node Labs, my friends, DSU Labs, um, Turpogs, Ellen Labs, Scotty, Ted, everyone that supports me, DO Farms, all the fans of Compound, everyone that's really pushing the envelope for genetic, genetic development and kind of doing good quality work. Yeah, amazing. Well, I mean, again, thank you so, so, so much, Chris, for coming on the show, for sharing all your knowledge, and in general, for being the amazing genetic maestro behind Compound Genetics. I appreciate the opportunity, man. Thanks for your time. And there you have it, my friends. The latest from the hype beast himself. A big, big, big thank you again to Chris from Compound Genetics for taking the time to come and chat with us today. Likewise, a big, big, big thank you to our sponsors who helped make this show happen. CT and now, you know them, you love them, best breeders in the game. Go check them out. They got you covered. Guarantee on satisfaction, not just germination. Likewise, Coppet Biological Systems, your number one stop for all things beneficial bugs, microbes, and powders. You need that beneficial army, the beneficial microbes, and the feed to keep the good guys stocked up so they can fight off the bad guys. Make sure your harvest is the best to date by using their products. Finally, huge, huge shout out to the Patreon gang. You guys are the lifeblood of the show, as you know. I appreciate you so, so, so much. If you're listening and you would like to help support the show, I'm sure more episodes happen, early access to content, additional unheard interviews, so, so, so much more. Go check out www.thepatreon.com and so much more. Go check out www.patreon.com forward slash the podcast. And that's it for this episode, my friends. I hope you enjoyed it. I'll see you for the next one. I'll see you.